Okay, turn with me in your Bible to Ezekiel uh, chapter 28. We're just uh, making our way through a series entitled Encountering the Beauty of the Lord. I think we're on like our eighth part. There's no end in sight. Well, I mean, this is something we're going to be engaging with for eternity and coming to new revelation of continuously forever and ever. So if we took maybe a year and preached on the beauty of the Lord, we would barely be scratching the surface. And I don't know if we'll go all year, but maybe we will. That would be fun. That would be wonderful, in my opinion. I love it. I'm, I'm touching things in the scripture that I haven't touched before. And I'm, and I'm finding uh, light and revelation uh, in the word that I've never seen before. And it's uh, giving me fresh perspective on so many things. Well, uh, probably in our second or third message in this series, I, I talked about how we have a, uh, a battle for beauty in the earth. And that there is a, uh, a, a, a movement of false beauty that's trying to get, grasp and grab the hearts and the minds of, of the multitude. Because men will worship, humans will worship what they find beautiful. And so the ideas of beauty are really what uh, uh, are being perverted and twisted by the enemy to, to drag away the multitudes into into uh, really idolatry. And ultimately, at the end of the age, the thing is going to boil down to two worship movements. One worshiping the Lord Jesus and one worshiping Antichrist. And th- this is where we're going. We're, we have two worship movements that will completely crystallize and, and become uh, very, very evident. That it's, it's two paths at the end of the age. And the issue will be beauty. I promise you, the issue will be beauty. Well, I was just kind of reviewing that idea uh, this week, and uh, the Lord took me to Ezekiel 28. You know, in Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28, we have two times where the Lord speaks through a prophet, and He's actually speaking, in Isaiah 14, He's speaking to the king of Babylon, and in Ezekiel 28, He's speaking to the king of Tyre. Those were real men who lived at those times that those prophets lived. He was actually speaking directly to them, but in the middle of prophesying to those men judgment on their, uh, their reign, the prophets, Isaiah and Ezekiel, both begin to speak directly to Lucifer and speak judgments from the mouth of the Lord against Lucifer. It's, it's really a, it's fascinating how the prophetic word works there. In one, one sentence, they're speaking directly to that individual, like I said, in Isaiah 14, it's the king of Babylon. Ezekiel 28, it's the king of Tyre. And in one moment, they're speaking to those individual people. And in, in the next sentence, they're speaking to Lucifer, the archangel, fallen archangel. And so what we find in Ezekiel 28 is the Lord addressing Lucifer and giving us insight into his position prior to the fall, and details about why he fell. 
And this caught my attention this week in a, in a, in a big way as I was, I was just reading through. Really what I did was I was just reading through all the verses that say beauty anywhere in the Bible. Just reading through them again. And I just got hung over here in Ezekiel 28 because the Lord was just, I think, still developing in my heart this idea about the battle for beauty, the war for beauty. And so I just want to give a few thoughts along these lines. I think they'll be insightful. Let's look at the verse here in Ezekiel 28, verse 14. Here we have Ezekiel. He's... he's, lapsing in, in this middle of this prophecy, he's lapsing into directly pronouncing a woe against Lucifer. I mean, it's really fascinating. I mean, where do you actually see this? In the middle of the prophetic word, he begins to proclaim a judgment on Lucifer. Habakkuk does this in in Habakkuk 2, just a side thought if you want to study that later. He actually begins to prophesy against Antichrist and against uh, Lucifer. But here we have Ezekiel doing the same thing. In verse 14, he says, You were the anointed cherub who covers. Now, that's not a man. It's no longer the king of Tyre right there. That you, are, you were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. That's not the king of Tyre any longer. You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. That gives us a little insight to, again, another couple facets of the throne room. There are whatever fiery stones are, they are there. We have the sea of glass. We've got jasper and sardius light. We've got lamps of fire, seven spirits of God, living creatures, and apparently there's fiery stones as well. We have the river of, of, of life that comes forth from the throne. It's mingled with fire. But we have these stones as well. Interesting. Maybe they're more like gemstones than rocks. But nonetheless, they've got fire. I like it. Verse 15. He says, you were perfect in your ways from the day you were created. Again, couldn't be a man. Couldn't be a man. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created. Till iniquity was found in you. Now look at verse 17. And this is the phrase that just struck me. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. What an interesting idea. I'm going to elaborate on that in a moment. And then he says, you corrupted your wisdom. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. And then the Lord says, and I cast you to the ground. And I laid you before kings that they might gaze at you. And that's what they will do. The nations will see. Lucifer, completely defeated, cast to the ground. And and the nations will see. Can't remember if it's Isaiah or Ezekiel. One of them says, hell is excited to meet you. And when you're cast there, they'll look at you and say, this is the one 
that caused the nations to tremble? God's going to expose him. He will be exposed. But look at that phrase again. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. Lord, just release light on this right now. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You know, as I was staring at it this week, I recognized the issue that causes Lucifer to rebel against Yahweh. The issue is beauty. Beauty. He began to see his own beauty, and from there he was puffed up, and the entirety of the war is over this issue. Who is beautiful? Because he said, I will ascend. I will be just like the Most High. I will ascend above the mountain of God. He says, my beauty will be greater than Yahweh's. That's, that's the point. The thing that causes Lucifer to exalt himself in radical arrogance is beauty. You know, we're going to look back after he's been thrown and cast into the lake of fire. We're going to look back and I can say this. I, I, I believe I can say this with boldness. We will look back and we will say the entire war for all humanity was always about beauty. And we've, you know, I think about in the church what we've emphasized and what we've not emphasized. And I think, man, and looking at my own preaching and I go, oh, I think I've missed the point quite a bit. Because if everything comes back to this original issue of beauty, how much more than should we be proclaiming the truth of true beauty? Because the battle starts over this issue of beauty, and then he goes on to say, and he goes, you corrupted your wisdom. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. What does that mean? You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of splendor. Here's what it means. He's an archangel. He's able to walk amidst the throne of God, amidst the fiery stones, whatever those are. He has proximity to the throne. He is fully capable of embracing, perceiving, and operating in the wisdom of God. He's able to tremble before God with full revelation of the perception of Yahweh. But in the moment that his eyes turn inward instead of outward, he twists his wisdom. He is endowed with wisdom, and instead of it being wisdom that causes him to have reverential awe for Yahweh, it's wisdom unto how to get the nations to love him in his own splendor. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. And so it's on from that point forward. Lucifer is attempting to sway the nations to buy in to him as the beautiful one. Him as the glorious one. The issue 
has always been, who is beautiful? Who is glorious? Who is majestic? Who is full of splendor? The battle has always been over beauty, beloved. The battle today is still over beauty. And so what we have is this. We have real beauty, true beauty. We'll talk about it in a minute. It's called the beauty of holiness. We have that beauty. Or we have the beauty of corruption. The beauty of corruption. Corrupted beauty. Corrupted beauty leads to the glorification of something of the enemy. True beauty, the beauty of holiness, leads to the glorification of God. And these are the two paths. Now, remember that beauty is not only what you perceive through the eye. Beauty is perceived through every one of your senses. Sight, smell, hearing, touch, taste. Beauty is through all of your senses. And then there is that sixth sense, that spiritual perception. Beauty is perceived in multiple ways. And I I described this before. But when we see him, the one who is the perfection of beauty, all of our senses, all of our sensory perception, all of our senses will max out. Because we will perceive perfect beauty at the highest extent all in one moment. We will max out. No wonder in his presence is fullness of joy and at his right hand is pleasure. Because when all your senses max out in ecstatic experience of embracing and encountering the beauty of the Lord, that's pleasure evermore. You and I have never, we've never maxed out in one of our of our abilities to perceive. Not ever once have we maxed out. Well, he's got to change our, 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 our makeup to max us out. Otherwise, we die. In other words, if he maxes you out now in beauty, you die. That's what he told Moses. I can't shine the countenance of my face on you, Moses. I can't show you all of my glory. It will kill you. So what's he going to do? He's going to fill us with glory. We get a glorified body... A resurrected and glorified body. Why? Just so you can handle it. Just just hang on. Because <laughs> when, when he turns the light on and all your senses redline, I mean, this is where we're going, beloved. All of our senses are going to redline at, at the same time. Pleasures evermore. I mean, just the skin on our face is just going to be peeling back. I mean, it's just going to be like, ah, and it's going to be ecstatic, and it's going to be fearsome. You're going to be trembling, and you're going to be laughing hysterically and screaming probably. I mean, with the most, I mean, effervescent explosion, the volcanic sense of love bubbling out of you. You'll want to dance, sing, shout, flip, fly. I mean, you you just, you want to blast off when beauty hits you this way. This is what you're made for. We're made for so much. 
We are made for so much more than what we've sold out to. We've sold out to corruption. We've sold out to a false, corrupted beauty. And we've lived low and blind as a result. So what does Lucifer do? He recognizes the beauty of Yahweh. He looks to himself. He looks inward and then begins to exalt himself. And his his goal is to get the admiration of the nations. He corrupts his wisdom to draw people to his own splendor. And therein is the dividing line. If it draws you to the splendor of God, it's beauty. If it doesn't draw you to the splendor of God, not beauty. Which means this. There is much under the sun that we call beauty that is not. There's much under the sun that we call beauty that is not. If it draws us to Him, It's beauty. If it draws us away, it's not. So, this brings us to this place. Okay, so, we're made to worship. We'll worship what we find beautiful. The question becomes, will we worship corruption or will we worship the beauty of holiness? The beauty of holiness. Now, here's... Here's the world we live in. By Lucifer's wisdom, he has so corrupted the ideas of beauty that the idea of holiness and the idea of beauty actually seem, at least from a carnal mind, to be opposites of each other. The carnal mind does not associate holiness with beauty. It associates holiness with something not good. You know, you just think of, you know, whatever, white knuckled, you know, tight clenched, you know. We've made holiness something that's not beautiful, and so therefore people don't perceive it as beautiful. And, and then Satan has twisted so much that if, it, if it's beautiful, it can't be fun. And so we don't think of holiness as beautiful. But the point is that real holiness is beauty. And beauty is holy. Beauty is holy. Real beauty is holy. Those two are not, you know, in opposition. Holy and beauty go together. Now, I know that seems obvious if if we're in church, but just go out in the public anywhere And just walk up to anybody and go, hey, did you know that holiness is beautiful? And check the kind of weird look you get. Because we get thousands of messages every day that beauty and holiness are not connected. Beauty is holy and holiness is beautiful. That's that's truth. That's truth. All right, so watch this progression now. The Lord, and I'm going I'm to lay out the scriptures for us in just a second, but I'm going to give you the progression, then I'm going to lay it out for you in the, in the Word. The Lord calls us to worship the beauty of holiness, to worship the beauty of holiness, until we are worshiping in 
the beauty of holiness. And it's talking about the transaction that when we comprehend the, 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 the beauty of holiness, when we set our face to behold him, we actually become like him. Now watch this. This is so cool. Second Chronicles chapter 20. It'll come up on your screen. I'm just going to work through this and we'll just go back into worship here momentarily. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 21. This is talking about when Jehoshaphat was fighting against uh, Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir. Mount Seir is Edom. When he was fighting against the, the armies from those three places, and it looked like sure destruction for Judah, and the Lord tells him to, to be of good courage. The Lord will deliver. I'm just kind of giving you the summary of the chapter. And then what he says is, I want you to put the worshipers out in front. Put the worship team out in front. This is like, okay, we're about to fight three armies at once. Yeah, put, put the guitar player up. Get Tolu. Let's get him out in front. <laughs> that just doesn't sound like a good plan. And he goes, and get the worshipers, and we're going to get them to worship the beauty of holiness. And what happens is destruction comes on the camp of the enemy. And what we end up finding is the, the exaltation of God, the exaltation of Jehovah, the exaltation of God as the most beautiful one ends up being the most powerful thing. And it destroys the ability of the enemy to even strategize. They actually, the enemy actually turns on itself and destroys itself. But it's because the people of God decide to quit worshiping any beauty of corruption and begin to worship the beauty of holiness. And beloved, oh, 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 if we would only worship that which is true beauty and not give ourselves to that which is corrupted beauty. I'm, talk, I'm not just talking about what we see. I'm talking about you see, hear, smell, taste, feel. I mean, all the, all the capacities to perceive are where beauty comes in, corrupt beauty or true beauty. And so the issue is, will you worship the beauty of holiness? Will you see holiness as really beautiful? And will you abandon yourself for the worship of holiness? See, when Jesus talked about the hunger and the thirst for righteousness, when you think of that in Matthew 5, the hunger and thirst for righteousness, it's a value of the kingdom of God, that is worshiping the beauty of holiness. Hunger and thirst for righteousness, it's the idea of worshiping the beauty of holiness unto holiness and beauty being imparted upon you. Hungering and thirsting for righteousness, just tie that together with worshiping the beauty of holiness. Not giving yourself to that which will not satisfy. Not giving yourself to that which is corrupt. So look at the verse here, 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 21. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord and who should praise the beauty of holiness. Praise the beauty of holiness. What exactly is praising the beauty of holiness? To me, in a nutshell, it's simply this. You are the most beautiful one there is, Jesus. I think when you get down to the core, the crux of the matter, when you recognize that the battle has been a battle for beauty, 
battle for being a, who's described as the most beautiful, I think the most intense sentence you can say that's the most spiritually warfare <laughs> intense sentence is Jesus Christ is the most beautiful one there is. That just puts it right in the eye of the enemy and exalts the Lord. Jesus is the most beautiful one. Jesus is the most beautiful one. That cuts right to the end. Right to the issue. Because it's always been a battle for beauty. It's always been who is the most majestic. Who is the most glorious? That's what the enemy, this is what this is. It's a cosmic beauty contest. And it sounds, it's just so crazy, but it is what it is. He gets puffed up because of his beauty, corrupts his wisdom to, to exalt his own splendor. The whole battle, we're gonna look back from the ages to come, and we're gonna look back over the, the, the souls that went to heaven and hell, and we're gonna say the whole war was about beauty. It was always about beauty. When you drink from corrupt beauty, you become corrupt. But when you drink from the beauty of holiness, you become beautified. And this is really the status of humanity. When we see corruption in humanity, what you see is people drinking from corrupt beauty. Drinking from broken cisterns with corrupt beauty in it perverted and twisted beauty. So he says, put them out in front and have them worship the beauty of holiness. Let them worship the beauty of Yahweh. Let them declare that his holiness is great and his beauty is exalted over every other thing. That is the most powerful spiritual, uh, spiritual warfare kind of proclamation there is because it cuts right to the core of the issue. Who's beautiful? Who's beautiful? And you know, I, I, I'll tell you what, I remember probably about a, uh, 10 years ago, a decade ago, I remember hearing for the first time the, the teaching on the beauty of the Lord. And I just had to come to grips with the fact, God, I've never, I just, I just had to say this, and I told the Lord in prayer, I go, I've never thought of you as beautiful, ever. Powerful, yes. Beautiful, no. Enthralling, No. Shocking, maybe, but never magnetic to my frame. Never enthralling. And I need you, God. I, and I just told him, I said, I need you to show me who you are in beauty so that I no longer perceive of corrupt beauty as what is beautiful, but, but, but so that I perceive of what is holy as beautiful. Give me revelation so that I see the beauty of holiness. And I've been on a, a 10 year journey into that. And I'm, and I'm finding that place where I'm going, oh, you are the most majestic. You are the most beautiful. You are the most enthralling. Lucifer's after your heart. He wants to enthrall you with his supposed pleasantries, his supposed beauty. This is what the warfare is over. But if we can see Jesus in his beauty, we can see the beauty of who he is, the beauty of his nature, the beauty of the knowledge of God, the beauty of the depths of who God is. We can perceive the beauty of God, the majesty of God, the splendor of God, the glory of God. 
Oh man, it will change. It will change our perspective on everything and what and, and, and primarily what we give ourselves to. The thing that's interesting, when you when you begin to study the issue of the beauty of holiness, it's almost always tied to who he is as merciful. Because they went out, and it says that uh, they should praise the beauty of holiness, and they go out before the army, and they were singing, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. The beauty of holiness is tied to the nature of God. It's tied to who he is as a merciful God. Who he is as the one who is supremely pure and in his heart, merciful to the broken and corrupt. <laughs> These two things are tied together. I will be quite honest with you. I don't have very much revelation on this point. How beauty and mercy are tied. It's the beautiful nature of our God. The beautiful nature of our uncreated God that causes us to step back and <gasps> the, the awe struck. You know, it, it causes us to step back and just be awestruck over who he is. The beauty of holiness, the beautiful nature of our merciful God. First Chronicles 16, 29. This will come up. Again, again, give to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. A worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Do you see that? The glory due him is worshiping him in the beauty of holiness. Do you see that? It's, it's the issue of who is the most glorious? Who is the most beautiful? Give him the glory, do him, worship him in the beauty of holiness. And this specific phrase here is worshiping the beauty of holiness. It's really worship him in the beauty of his holiness. Worship who he is in beautiful holiness. That's the idea. We get the same thing in Psalm 96.9. It's actually quoting 1 Chronicles 16. This is the psalm that David released on the day that he set up the tabernacle of David. One of the key uh, songs that they sang in the tabernacle of David was over the issue of the beauty of God. Well, that's, of course, that makes tons of sense. I mean, David, you know, one thing have I desired. I may dwell in your house and gaze on your beauty. He was a, he was a, he was a songwriter, a psalmist of the beauty of God. He comprehended the beauties of holiness. And so that's what it is. The, 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 tie those two phrases together. The glory do his name and worshiping him in the beauty of holiness. The glory do him is all about understanding who he is as the most majestic. And understanding that holiness is what's beautiful. The holiness of God is what's beautiful. The nature of God. The merciful nature of, of the uncreated God. It's beautiful. Now look at Psalm 110. It'll come up. Verse 3. Now this is talking about, this is awesome. This is talking about in the day of the Lord's return. And just like they worshipped the Lord in the beauties of holiness when Jehoshaphat went out against Ammon, Moab, and Edom. Just like that, the Lord is going to have a procession on the earth where he will actually have the worshipers and the praisers before him. Psalm 110 and Psalm 145 give us the details. 
Psalm 145 says the high praises of God will be in their mouths and a two-edged sword in their hand. Psalm 110 says it this way. Your people will be volunteers or they will be willing in the day of your power. What will they be in? In the beauties of holiness. See, beloved, this is where it's going. At the end of the age, the bride will come to the place where she is fully enthralled with the majesty of our God. She will worship Him for the beauty of who He is with hearts completely abandoned in the beauties of holiness. And I tell you, that procession that Jehoshaphat, that he laid out the worshipers beforehand and he came behind and and the Lord struck the enemy, beloved, that is going to replay again, except for this time it won't be Jehoshaphat, it will be Jesus. It will be Jesus. Jesus. Just said that to make sure you weren't asleep. Yeah. It will be Jesus. Yeshua. That's who it will be. And he will have the praisers in front. And the bride at the end of the age will be worshiping. This time, she will be carrying the beauties of holiness. She'll be worshiping him in the beauty of holiness. And she will be wearing the beauty of holiness. And there isn't, therein is the transaction. And this is something I've been meditating on. That, man, beloved, I don't think we quite get this. But this transaction that takes place between heaven and earth, when we commune with God, and I, I, all of it, I, just, I mean, just all of it just blows my mind. Because we worship Him and we love Him. And as we worship Him, it touches His heart. It actually moves the heart of the uncreated God. He's actually touched by you. God is touched by your love. It impacts him. He says it this way. He takes pleasure in his people. He takes pleasure in your love. Now, Now think about that. Little broken down me and you. We go, I love you. I love you. We send the worship to him, and his heart goes, I love you. It moves him. And there's this two-way street of communion. It's never one way. It's always two-way. You touch him, you actually touch him, and in touching him, he touches you. Now, this will cook your brain a little bit. Or is it he touches you so that you touch him so that he touches you? He's touching you to touch him to touch you. Yes. But there's this transaction that takes place. We offer him our attempt at love and he responds with beauty. He gives beauty for ashes. I tell you, the bride at the end of the age will exchange all of it. All of the corruption that she's, that she's gone after, she will let all that go. and She will exchange all of it for the worship of the beauty of holiness. Until she is arrayed in beauty. She will be arrayed in beauty. I take great courage. And though I see a 
a bride ridden with many challenges. And I look at my own heart and the hearts of many, and I go, oh, we are a stumbling, bumbling bride. He goes, well, in the day of my power, you will be completely abandoned. That's what willing is. You will be fully abandoned to me, and you will be clothed in beauty. This is where we're going. The battle for beauty that started in the garden, I mean in the, in the throne room of God, in the, in the mountain of God, it will be culminated with a people who are voluntary lovers, willing and abandoned and clothed with beauty because they've worshipped beauty instead of corruption. See, worshipping beauty isn't just I worship you, I worship you, holy, holy, holy. It's choosing a lifestyle that exalts and glorifies him. It's all the thoughts, actions, all the words. It's the love of God in all you do. It's the love of God in breath. It's the love of God in silence. It's the love of God in, in words. It's, 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 that's it. It's, it's that, the love of God permeating the desire for him permeating you so all your actions are the beauty of holiness. This is, this is where the bride's going. In the beauties of holiness, she will be willing. You may see your own brokenness today and go, ah, there's no hope. Well, he says there is. He says this is where it's going. It's going to a bride that's completely abandoned, clothed in beauty because she's worshipped beauty. That's the transaction, this amazing transaction. We touch heaven, heaven touches us. We gaze on beauty and we become beautiful. We offer our heart and he gives us his. We give him our broken ashes and he imparts majesty and splendor. Satan does the other, the other way around. You give him your beauty and he gives you corruption. You, you give him the strength of your life and he gives you destruction. Corrupted beauty. Corrupted beauty destroys. You can tell if you've been drinking of corrupted beauty if it's destroying you. But if it's beautifying you, if it's making you more holy, it's the beauty of holiness. Just read a few verses. Psalm 90, verse 17. Make this a prayer. Just put this in your back pocket. Pray this one. Let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands. See, he ties beauty there to our actions. The beauty of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands. Yes, establish the work of our hands as what? As beautiful in holiness. This is our destiny. Our destiny is to be radiant and beautiful. Oh, beloved, please, men, women, please hear me. Your destiny is to be beautiful. Arrayed with majesty and glory. When darkness covers the earth and deep darkness the people, the Bible says the glory of the Lord will arise upon you. 
Now in context, it's specifically speaking about Israel and the day of the Lord's return. But that works for the church experiencing the outpouring of the glory of God and the Holy Spirit up up into and through the end of the age. The church will have glory upon her. That's who we're called to be. It's about beauty, beloved. It's about beauty. I'm talking about beauty that makes you tremble. I'm talking about beauty that makes you weep. I'm talking about beauty that caves in every supposed arrogance of your soul. I'm talking about beauty that breaks you down and leaves you groveling for help. Powerful beauty that breaks down all your sensibilities. I'm talking about beauty that leaves you trembling. I mean, hands trembling. What did I just see? If you heard the audible voice, it would leave you shocked. I've had one encounter, one. I heard the audible voice of God once. Just a phrase. I mean, for weeks, there was a tremble on me and a sobriety upon me. One little phrase, one audible phrase. I mean, like the loudest roaring lion, like the most, uh, uh, the closest voice, the loudest echo. The volume was explosive, but not strained. And it it shocked me and caused me to trip. We just had one little trip. We've not touched this. We do not know who we're playing with. We are so goofing around in the natural realm. We're so moved by all these natural little things. And we have no concept that we're dealing with the uncreated God who wraps himself, he wraps light around himself like a garment. Who can wrap light like a garment? We don't don't comprehend transcendence. Do you know what transcendence means? It just simply means this. There's nothing else in his category. There are two categories. Uncreated and created. And the gulf between the two is infinite. He is in uncreated. Everything else is in created. Two categories. The transcendent God is the only one in the category of uncreated. The highest archangel, Lucifer himself, and the lowest amoeba, the lowest single cell organism, all in the same category, all created. They're this far apart because the gulf between uncreated and created is infinite. Do you have any comprehension what transcendent beauty is? of a completely different order. And when we worship that God, we see the futility of corrupt beauty, and ah, we worship Him in the beauty of holiness, purity and the beauty of holiness. Our perspective changes. Our hearts become willing, and beauty clothes us. This is it, beloved. This is where the battle is. The battle is over beauty. Psalm 90 verse 17. Let the beauty of the Lord our God be punished and establish the works of our hand. Yes, establish the works. Establish a lifestyle of beauty. And then the one you know. 
2 Corinthians 3.18. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. As we behold, we're being transformed. That's the transaction. As we behold, we're being transformed. From glory to glory. Last verse. And I want to pray. This one is familiar, but now you'll get to see it in a new light, hopefully. Ephesians 1.4. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. He chose you for beauty, holy and without blame, holy and without shame, holy and without blemish before him in love. This is what you're chosen for. This is what you're called into. To worship the beauty of holiness and to have beauty be upon you. Oh, I want to live this way. I want to live this way. And man, if it is an inch, if I get an inch more of this this week, then I'll take it. Because an inch more, a, a, a centimeter more of true beauty is it's infinitely better than a mile more of corrupt beauty. Do you understand what I'm saying? The battle has always been for beauty. This is what we're called to. We're called to the beauty of holiness. We're called to the splendor of holiness. Amen. Amen. Let's stand. I just admit it. I, you know, I'm talking about things that I don't, I don't really con- com- comprehend. But I want to. I want to understand Jesus. I want to understand. The battle's always been over beauty. It's always been over majesty. It's always been over glory. And therefore you call us to worship the beauty of holiness rather than worshiping the beauty of corruption. Let us see. Let our eyes see. Let us comprehend the beauty of holiness.